0: Okay, well, let's, let's open tonight. It's good to have each of you here. And I was talking with a couple of you. Uh, you know, Storm Grove on Thursday night is not the easiest place to get to, uh, driving through the evening traffic, going home from work. And uh, whoever thought we'd say that about Vero Beach? But yeah, there is a, there is a five o'clock traffic issue. And it's, it's just away from where a lot of you live. And I understand that. We're always looking for other places. Right now, the finance team and the future facility team are uh, working, uh, looking at different properties. And so they are very active. Don't think that we're just laying around doing nothing. They are actively looking. And uh, and then we will also uh, try to get back towards town. Uh, we're hoping that at some point, uh, Strunk Funeral Home o- opens up the The plaza for us to come back Uh, they're going through some legal battles right now and so until that clears i don't think we'll be able to come back into the facility but uh, at that point we would go back because if we don't have a, a church home yet because it's it's in town it's easier and we always seem to have a few more folks that would join us and i understand that especially in the winter months when it gets dark some folks just cannot go out after dark or after they're sitting here and then the evening the end of the class and they they they're in trouble so well let's begin with prayer and thank you for being here tonight lord it is the word of god that we've come for and and that's because we love you we we hunger for you more of you understanding you knowing more about your nature and knowing more about your ways your character And so tonight, Lord, as we study the kings, uh, what an insightful study it is, the things that we've gleaned from the kings that we can apply to our lives. May tonight be no different. May we be able to not only learn about the Old Testament stories in the Bible, but Lord, may we be able to practice what we've learned. May the principles of God's truth, which never change, they don't wear out, they don't become ancient, they're always fresh, they're always necessary, they're always relevant. So tonight, Lord, speak to us. Your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good. Well, uh, we are in chapter 17 at this point, and uh, looking forward to going further with our study on King David. I'm having to use my my uh, electronic device tonight because uh, I'm out of paper on my printer. So, I uh, you, you know me well enough to know that I'm not big on this kind of stuff. Uh, I'd rather use, uh, paper and my Bible, but tonight it's going to be, we're going to, we're going to study from here. And let me see if I can get that large enough. Well, I'll do it this way. Okay, good. So, uh, Where we left off last week, of course, Absalom has risen up in rebellion to his father, doesn't really have a relationship with his father. Uh, For four years, he's been, and actually two years, he's been working at the city gate, uh, adjudicating the the problems that people of all over Israel, when they come to Jerusalem, they want to get some help, and he's out there helping them, and he's saying things like, you know, gee, I just wish my dad had had appointed me to help you, or I wish my dad had time for you because your case is so important and I know you're burdened, and so let me just do what I can to try to assist you. And, you know, he would just warm the people's hearts to himself and turn them from King David. And David, because King David was not astute, he was not tuned in, to his own children, and the issues in their lives, the dysfunction. And uh, he was not caring for the right things. Uh, all this took, up, took place right in Jerusalem under his nose. And then finally, um, David began to realize after the death of Amnon, his son, he began to realize that uh, I've made a big mess. And we saw where David began to uh, experience brokenness. He began to, to cry out to God. I believe he started that way. When King Saul was trying to kill David, David kept himself near to the heart of God, and he stayed in that state of humility where he wouldn't even touch the garment of King Saul to harm him. He, he didn't want to do anything to harm the king. And But I think over years of serving and going out to war and, He heard what the people said about him, and and he just kind of got caught up in the kingship and forgot about his family. So God used his family issues to humble him again and to break him. And so now David's a broken man, and he learns that Absalom, his son, is betraying him. He learns that his special advisor, Ahithophel, and many others were turning on him, people who were close to him in the kingdom. And he doesn't see it as man just doing something on his own. David sees it as God disciplining him, chastening him. And so David takes it that all this negative that's happening, it's probably the Lord that is behind it. He's trying to get my attention. He's trying to to discipline me. And so David, instead of standing up against Absalom as he comes into the city... Because David still had many of his mighty men, uh, but instead of standing up, he just leaves before Absalom arrives. And his mighty men go with him. And many of the people who served in the the kingdom uh, under David, they went with him. And so uh, that's where we come to now, where Absalom finally arrives in the city. And Ahithophel, who used to be David's advisor... Tells Absalom, go up on the rooftop of the palace and we'll set up tents for the ten concubines that stayed behind. If you remember, David had ten of his concubines stay behind to care for the palace, to watch over it. And, uh, And we'll set up tents and you can go up there, Absalom, and you can have your way with those ten concubines. And the people will see it and they'll know that David is no more that his son has taken the position of rulership. And, of course, that's what he does. And uh, it did send a message to the people of Israel that Absalom is now the king. He's in the palace. He's even taken his father's concubines, the ones that were still there. And David has fled. David's fleed, uh, fleeing to the wilderness. So we pick up at verse 1 in chapter <coughs> excuse me, 17. It says, Moreover... Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men, and I will rise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged, and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband." You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Interesting at the very tail end where he says, Not just Absalom, but all the elders of Israel. Who, by the way, were the same elders who when David had been in in hiding way before, Uh, They finally came to David and said, you're the king. And they stood with him. And now they've turned again. (laughs) From when Saul was king, they were with Saul and against David. Then they became David's and now they're Absalom's. And so this picture is that Absalom sought advice from Ahithophel, David's former advisor. And Ahithophel, they had several advisors, but uh, Ahithophel was probably the most valued and uh, they would turn to him first. And so Absalom is using his father's advisor because Ahithophel has has betrayed David. He has gone behind his back to his son. And Ahithophel quickly advised Absalom to make a selective strike against David. Let's strike while the iron's hot and, and let's only take David. In my plan, I won't go after any of the people. They will come to us once David's out of the picture. And his advice was that a a quick strike before David would cross over to the west side of the, uh, or or the east side, rather, of the Jordan River, because that's wilderness. And that's where David is heading. And so so he wants to strike quickly. Notice, though, Ahithophel, who betrayed David and became the advisor to his rebellious son, he slips up when he presents this plan to Absalom. Do you see it? There's a slip of the tongue. Look at what he said real quick. See if you can find it. I'll even give you the context. The backdrop is, he is now, Ahithophel is in Jerusalem at the palace with the new king. So what does he say That is a slip of the tongue. Okay, let me read it for you. Verse 2. Last part of the verse. I will strike down only the... Oops. Absalom is the king. He's betrayed David as king. He doesn't want David to be king. Why is he still calling David the king? I, I think he knows. David is the king. David is the king. And he's fortunate because Absalom doesn't really pick up on it like you and I, and he didn't even think about addressing that matter with Ahithophel. So that's interesting. Absalom and the elders liked what they were hearing from Ahithophel, and so uh, because it was a bold move and it probably had a high uh, success rate. Uh, the last thing that, excuse me, Israel needed was a long drawn out battle between uh, Absalom's men and David's men. So this would be a quick strike, take take the king out, and then we can get all the people on our side. But Absalom isn't aware that his father is completely down and out. God has been dealing with David on these matters. Only those who are traveling with him can see how heavy David is, how broken he is, how humbled he is, how weary he is. Ahithophel is a wise guy. He's the wisest guy in the land. He knows it. He even said it. Let's, let's strike while he's down. Absalom's not convinced of that. He's not sure that that's true. In fact, uh, if you think about it, what Absalom would think of his dad is, Look at all that David did with these mighty men, all the battles that he conquered. So David sees him as a real force to be reckoned with. And yet he thought, okay, you, you, you're, you're the wisest, so we'll go with your plan. Uh, but what's interesting here is uh, God is in control, not Ahithophel. And while Ahithophel has laid a plan It will be God's plan that prevails. And he has placed Hushai in the palace next to Absalom, who is faithful to David, to misconstrue uh, the words of Ahithophel. And so that's exactly what happens. In Proverbs 19.21, write it down. Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord... That will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You can go ahead and do all the planning and think you've got it all figured out and lay it. And people say, "Yeah, that sounds like a great plan," but in the end, God's plan will prevail, and that's what's happening. Man has spoken. That would be a What does the Lord have to say about it? Well, we're about to find out. He has a lot to say about about this plan. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he has to say. Now, let me just tell you that when Ahithophel would speak, uh, the theologians, the scholars would tell you that his word was the word. And when he spoke, they really didn't turn to others as much. And so the fact that he's coming to Hushay after Ahithophel has already given a plan, after they've already said, well, that seems right in our eyes too, Ahithophel. But something causes them to open up to listen to another advisor. Hushay, what is it? It's obvious. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so they call Hushay the archite. And let's hear what he has to say. And when Hushay came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Here's what Ahithophel uh, said. Shall we do as he says? In other words, do you agree with what he's telling us to do? And if not, I want to hear from you. What, is your, what are your thoughts? Verse 7, Then Hushay said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushay said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people, follow Absalom. So he's basically putting in Absalom's mind, you go after David. First of all, David right now, he and his men are like a bear, upset, angry over someone taking their cubs. And you are really walking into a mess. Do not do that. And then he goes further and he just basically tells him, uh, if you go after David, you're going to lose some people. And what do you think? the word is gonna be that spreads all over Israel, that your people have been lost. David will be be looked at as the, the victor. And so then verse 10, even the valiant men whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. So I guess God's plan is different than Ahithophel's. Ahithophel said, let me go and take out David. I won't kill anybody else, and all the people will come running to us. Uh, God said, no, that's not going to happen. Now, honestly, let's just look at it at face value. David's on the run. David's beaten down. And Ahithophel, who's the wisest in the land, said, go now, let's get him now while we can. It was good advice. If you're going to strike someone, that's the time to strike. When they're wounded, when they're hurting, when they're down, when they're on the run. He gave great advice. But the Lord is not with him. The Lord is not with Absalom. The Lord is with David. And the Lord put a different word in the mouth of Hushai. And what Hushai said, it also makes sense. And basically what he says, he said, let's not go right now. Let's wait and let's build up all the mighty army of Israel from all over Israel. Then let's go after David. Then there's no way he'll be able to withstand the attack. That's true too. And the Lord's the one that told him to say it. Why? To diffuse the the authority and the power in the words of the most wise advisor in Israel. Ahithophel, so this is Ahithophel versus God, <laughs> and God's plan prevailed, and He used Hushai to deliver the message. Uh, in Second Samuel fifteen thirty one, we see we know that it was God, and here's why: David is also a wise man, and in Second Samuel fifteen thirty one, David was told of Ahithophel's betrayal that he is now with Absalom. And look what David says in 2 Samuel 15.31. Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Understand, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was not foolish. It was wise. Turn it into foolishness. Make even the wise look foolish. That's what the Lord did by sending Hushai. In the New Testament scripture, uh, it, it, it confirms that same message. God will actually say, I will confound the wise. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He took the young advisor, who's not seen as the greatest, to confound the words of the wisest. Ahithophel was by far the wisest, and yet God used uh, Hushe, who is not in the same category. And, and then it says this, uh, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I'll take what doesn't exist and I'll cause the things that do exist to mean nothing. (laughs) That is an awesome God. Amen? And it's all triggered by David's prayer. When he prays and says, he says, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now I've got to tell you, I do not believe, personally I do not believe, that prayer begins with us. I believe prayer begins with God. I believe that when we pray prayers that are answered, We are actually praying the Lord's prayers. We're agreeing with what God's will is. I don't believe that we have a God that we can change his mind. I know. I know what Abraham goes in to remove, you know, to Lot, goes to Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and if if I find just, you know, 20 people, will you? And the Lord says, yeah, sure, I'll do it. If I find ten, you know, he keeps bringing the number down because he knows there's not many in there that are faithful. The whole time, it was the Lord's will to allow Abraham to rescue Lot. He was just lining up with God because the Scripture is very clear. I am not a God that I would change my mind. And when we see things in Scripture where God regrets, and it's in there, there's verses, what you have is a picture of God who is infinite, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who never changes. Within Him, no shadow of turning, no variance. You have Him speaking in ways that we identify, we understand. And so, it's just not what you think it is. As we think as human beings... It looks like God's changing up, and boy, you know we can we can move the hand of God to do anything. Um, Jesus always said when he talked about miracles and praying and believing and faith and healing, but he always said according to God's will. You want to pray according to the will of God. It's interesting how a lot of times when someone is sick, we pray, and we don't attach that to the prayer. Lord, heal him. Lord. Lord, do, Lord, do. As if we kind of are summoning God by rubbing the side of the bottle, getting God to come out and do what we ask Him to do. That is not the God of Israel. The one true living God does not respond to man's whims. Many are the plans of a man's heart. The Lord's plan prevails, He is sovereign. Meaning, nothing gets by Him. He sees everything. He understands everything. And He either allows or causes everything. That is God. So, and how does this affect us? Well, in our prayer life, we should always begin in prayer by seeing God for who He is. Call that worship-based prayer. Prayer begins with the worship of God. Turn to the Psalms and read it and let the Lord begin to minister to your spirit about His own nature, His own character. And what happens as you pray, as you think about that passage, is it begins to turn your thoughts and your heart towards the greatness of God rather than your request. And it's a beautiful thing. Let's just do it real quick. You mind if we take a moment and and I lead you in a worship-based prayer? Okay? So take your Bible and turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is one of my favorite psalms probably one of yours as well. You know what I'm talking about. So let's let's look at this. Here's what it says. This is a psalm of David, by the way. David's the one that wrote this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. And forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Who was that about? What we just read, the Lord. You're starting prayer with the Lord. Go further, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The second time that phrase is used. He will not always chide. He's not going to always be upset or, or angry at us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Some of us need to hear that tonight. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen! He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high For He knows our frame. He knows everything about us. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments the lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all bless the lord O you his angels You mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Whose will? The Lord's will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So the question I ask you, is after reading that and really thinking about it, do you think you're better prepared to pray? You see how worship-based prayer puts you in a better position with God? You're thinking about Him. You're aligning with Him. Now when you pray, you pray His words. You pray in agreement with Him, not in disagreement with Him. How can anyone, after reading that, think they can somehow control God and talk Him into doing what they want done? It's beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. Let's go back. So, this is exactly what God did to Absalom and the elders. He he took what was lowly, what was despised, and he confounded what was high up and lifted up and exalted by man. And he, he, he confounded it. He, he made it look foolish. Uh, now, i got to tell you, I think when Hushe first heard the advice that Ahithophel gave to Absalom, he probably shook in his boots. He's like, oh my goodness, that's great advice. Lord, what are we going to do? What do I say? The Lord put words in his mouth. The Lord prepared him. God used him to counterattack Ahithophel's good advice. So Hushai uh, appeals to Absalom by speaking of the of David's past. Remember now, Ahithophel said, "Oh, David's down. He's weak." He he was right. But Hushai, led by the Lord, says, "Do you not remember the greatness of your dad and the mighty battles that he's fought and the mighty warriors?" That have gone with him in the battle, how in the world will Ahithophel, by himself, take a small band of ten thousand men and go take out David and his mighty men? There's no way. There's going to be loss, and that loss is going to come back on you that your people were slaughtered by David. So I just love it. I, I just how how God twists and turns this thing so that Absalom absolutely took. Hushai's advice and uh, verse 11, but my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for the, for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So he's saying, why don't you just wait, gather up all the people of Israel to go fight. They're as numerous as the sand on the sea, seashore. And so we shall come up upon David in some place where he is to be found. And we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. We'll take them all out. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city. We shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. What he's talking about is, well, if David's in some city, you know, in a fortress, what we'll do is we'll take the ropes. They have hooks, these huge hooks. And they would throw them over the wall. And with a lot of people pulling on that rope, they're able to literally, with several ropes on one wall, they're li- literally able to pull the whole wall down. And we'll, we'll take down the walls to where there's not even a pebble on top of another pebble. We will get David. But let's take our time and let's mount a large army to go after him. So the first diver- diversion And Hushay's proposal to Absalom is to buy time for David. That's what the Lord was doing. Okay, let's make him go and try to rally up all the troops. That'll give David time to gather all of his people and to prepare for battle. The next thing he did was challenge Absalom to go into battle with his army. Uh, This probably appealed to Absalom's pride and vanity. Ahithophel said, let me go and I'll take out David. And now Hushay says, Absalom you need to go. You're the leader. You're the king. And Absalom the whole time his chest is just puffing out more and more and more. His head is going up. His chin is up here as he listens. You know, it's just funny. You know there's certain animals that that's what they do. They they puff up. Their chin goes up higher, their beak, you know. And you can just see that's Absalom. He's just eating up what Hushay is saying. And Hushay is just speaking the words of the Lord to him. God knows the heart of every one of us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows where we can be easily swayed to evil. And and here God uses that against Absalom. Now there's an interesting contrast between Ahithophel and Hushai's plans. In Ahithophel's plan, he leads the battle. In Hushai's plan, Absalom leads the battle. We're going to play that out later as this is exactly what Absalom does and you're going to see why God had Absalom leading the charge. Verse 14, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. I'll bet you that had never happened prior. Yeah, okay. Uh, For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So now it comes out, it wasn't Hushay that he was just so brilliant. It was God using his servant Hushay to take Absalom down. That's, That's the way God works. He takes insignificant people to do significant things. And it's him doing it. amen amen that's right that's right exactly that's that's his work the Lord I hope we hear that because most of us sitting here tonight we don't think we're really the right person to do it whatever it is oh there's somebody better than me that could do it in the church you know that's not the way the Lord works if he went with the guy that looked the part Saul would still be king. He went with a shepherd boy, the most insignificant to do the significant, the work of God. And so it's just a matter of us not coming in with brilliant ideas and then putting God in a corner, trapping him. Okay, now Lord, you need to do this. Here's why. Let me you might not understand. Maybe it's beyond your comprehension, so let me lay it out easily for you. No, God just needs humble, broken, contrite servants who say, Lord, you are great. Your word tells me all I need to know. You have all the answers already. Your plans will prevail, so I'm just your humble servant. Use me to do your work, however you choose. And when we put ourselves at God's disposal, uh, God doesn't waste His resources. He will use you. He will use me. He'll use anybody. Amen. But He appeals to, to, uh, to uh, Absalom's his pride, his arrogance. You just think, Absalom. The big king taking his mighty army into battle. And uh, the whole time Absalom's like just licking it up. Oh, this is certainly what we need to do. Uh, I love it. Uh, and, And when you think about it, this is one of the great principles of life, which every page of the Bible seems to emphasize, whether we see it or not, it's there, or it illustrates it, and here it is. Men cannot escape God. How did God talk Absalom into walking into the trap that would take his own life, his rebellious life? Pride. No one escapes God. No one. They go their own way, but their way never sets them free from the authority and the power of God. Absalom thought he was the guy, I have the best advisors. And the whole thing God used to bring him right in. And then he crumbled like a deck of cards. So because David sought the Lord in prayer, the Lord, Lord's will was carried out to defeat Ahithophel. Pure prayers line up with God's will. Remember that. If it's a pure prayer, you're lining up with God. It's not God lining up with you. In this case, what David prayed was exactly what God wanted to do. What, did he get it right? Did he guess and got it right? No. No. He was lined up with God, so God revealed it to him. These are prayers that please the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray that you'll turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And God's like, yep, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> and he did it. Now remember, David believes that the Lord is taking him through a severe chastening at this time. Remember? That's why he's, that's why he's walking away from the throne. That's why he is down. That's why he is broken. Now listen to this. Think about this. Yet even though he's in a time of chastening and discipline from the Lord, the Lord does not forget David. The Lord does not throw David on the scrap heap because he is a terrible father to his own children. We need to hear that because how we handle our own children, even grown children, we can either reflect the heart of God or we can reflect the heart of self. I just think it's very big that that God, even when David was being disciplined, the Lord did not forsake David. He was there for David in his time of great need. Why? Because David reached out to him and humbled himself before the mighty hand of the Lord. And that moves the heart of God. What did David say in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. That's the one thing God would never turn away. Even the one who's doing the discipline, when we come with humility before him and forgiveness, asking forgiveness, repenting of our sins, he is quick to Stay with us and help us and and, and bring us out of our mess. And that's what he does for David. He doesn't destroy David. He disciplines David. But a whole, the whole time he's disciplining, he's loving David. And then verse 15, Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar. Remember, they were the two priests who also came down from the city to follow David as he was going to the wilderness. And David said, no, 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 go back. You need to stay close to Absalom so that you can give me reports of what's happening. Okay? And so they go back. Thus and so did Ahithophel, so so they so then Hushai said to Zadok and Abithar the priest, uh, thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over the Jordan River Lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. So basically, what what Hushai is saying is the council of Ahithophel was to go tonight. Let me take ten thousand men. Let me find David and kill him. And so, even though Hushai has given counsel that Absalom appears to receive, he's not taking any chances. And so he tells the priests in the city. David needs to cross the Jordan now, tonight, not wait, because they could send out, they could follow Ahithophel's plan. So he needs to be careful, okay? And so uh, that's exactly what they did. Uh, This is exactly what David had in mind when he sent Hushai and the priests back to Absalom. He wanted Hushai to confound. The wisdom of Ahithophel. He wanted the two priests uh, to be able to take the message from Hushai and give it to listen their two sons. The two sons, and let the two sons carry the word as messengers back to David. From a and and the whole the whole line of communication is this: Hushai to the priest, the priest to a servant girl the servant girl to the two sons of the priest the two sons of the priest go off and tell david who did god use those that are high up in the religious rites a servant girl i would say god covered the bases wouldn't you he didn't leave anybody out god doesn't leave anybody out verse 17 Now, Jonathan and Ahimaz; those are the two sons of of these priests, they were waiting at Enregel. Enregel is less than a mile from the city of Jerusalem on the southeast area of Jerusalem. Okay, So they're not far from the city. And a female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But... A young man saw them and he went and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Beharim who had a well in his courtyard and they went down into it. Um, What I've read about that particular part of the story is that it was common among God's people that when the when the harvest would come in, they would take their barley or their grain harvest and they would gather it up and they would place it in a dried out well or a dried out cistern. So they would. this was probably, the scholars think, this was more like a cistern that was dry. It was no longer used to draw water. And they probably stored grain in this so that the boys could go down into it and not drowned, you know, they're not floating around for hours waiting for word to come up. Uh, so it's probably that kind of a situation. And then they were to go and tell David. So, a young man saw them. He told Absalom. They both hide in the well. And the woman spread, uh, verse 19, She spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. Uh so this was not a well that's built up off the ground. It's just a hole in the ground, basically. And she covers the hole and puts grain over it so nobody would even think to look down there. Or that it would even exist. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house looking for these two men, they said, Where are Ahimaz and Jonathan, the, 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 the sons of the two priests? And the woman said to him, They have gone over the brook of water. That would be the brook of called Kidron, K-I-D-R-O-N. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And after they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. And they said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak... Not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. So uh, through the darkness of night, they were able to literally get to the other side of the Jordan River and to a more safe area in case Absalom chose Ahithophel's plan or if something happened and they were coming after him. So they were waiting at Enrogel, located just outside the city, and then they went and told David. After being seen uh, in this in this cistern, I the part of the story that doesn't come up is these are they, they, they called them by name, so they knew they were the two sons priests of the priests sons, but it doesn't say anything about if if Absalom went after the two priests for it. In fact, he didn't, and so you wonder if maybe God just protected the two priests. Uh, so verse twenty three, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, now we have a postscript on Ahithophel. He saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. So he leaves Jerusalem. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. So Ahithophel took his own life because now he had nowhere to turn. He already betrayed David. If something happens to Absalom, David will come after him. So he thinks. But we also know from the last chapter, there were those who wronged David. Remember the guy that was, that was yelling at David, cursing him out, throwing rocks at him? And his men said, let me go over there and take his head off. And David said, leave him alone. It could be that the Lord is doing this to me. David does at times show grace and forgiveness. Who knows that he might not have uh, shown that to Ahithophel, that he might live. Not necessarily serve again, but at least live. But anyway, we don't know. Um, Ahithophel certainly thought that that would not be the case. And he also thought, now I'm of no use to Absalom. He's allowed another advisor to take the the key position. So he goes home, and it says here, this is interesting, it says that he he, um, sets his house in order, and then he hangs himself. One theologian wrote, quote, Suicide is always the ultimate action of cowardice. In the case of Saul, and many similar cases, it is perfectly natural, but let it never be glorified as heroic. It is the last resort of the man who dare not stand up to life. C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist evangelist and preacher, he said, quote, I desire to call your attention to the text on account of its very remarkable character. He put his house in order and hanged himself. To put his house in order showed that he was a prudent man. To hang himself proved that he was a fool. Herein is a strange mixture of discretion and desperation, mind and madness. Shall a man have wisdom enough to arrange his worldly affairs with care, and yet shall be so hapless as to take his own life afterwards? So the 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 sickness, the 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 just the pathology of suicide. And and Spurgeon covers it well. He goes further, Spurgeon said, thousands set their houses in order, but destroy their souls. They look well to their flocks and their herds, but not to their heart's best interest. They gather broken shells with continuous industry but they throw away priceless diamonds. They exercise forethought, prudence, care everywhere, but, but where they are most required. They save their money, but squander their happiness. They are guardians of their estates, but suicides of their souls. Wow. it's Quite a word from uh, good old Spurgeon. Verse 24, then David came to Mahanam, And Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. So now this is quite a while later. Remember, the whole idea of God's plan was, let's give David time to get where he needs to get and set up for the battle. Uh, So this would have been weeks later. Okay, Verse 24. And Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa? was the son of a man named Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. So Absalom placed Amasa over the army because, if you remember, Joab has accompanied David on his flight from Jerusalem. Joab's no longer in Jerusalem. But really, Absalom, it's not really that this young man, Amasa, is the leader. Absalom is the one taking his, his army into battle. Okay? This is just the kind of the head. Uh, and, 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 and it was because of Absalom's his passion, his pride, his arrogance that he was the one that was leading. But who is Amasa? Let me just explain this to you. Amasa was the son of Abigail, either David's sister or his half sister, which made him David's nephew. So the guy leading uh, Absalom's uh, army is David's nephew. His mother was also the sister of Zeruiah, the mother of Joab. So Amasa was a cousin of Absalom, Joab, and Abishai. (laughs) So it's, it's all in the family, folks. And all of this comes from a bunch of wives and concubines. What a wicked web we weave. So under his lead, the armies crossed the Jordan into the Gilead, which is a high country in the east. And it took a while to build this large army that crossed over, so David had ample time to ready himself and his men for war. But to make no mistake, please don't, don't misunderstand, God was the one who would lead this entire operation, guiding David and guiding Absalom. God is doing all of it. When you have problems that come up in your life, we tend to immediately look at evil in the world and say, well, that's, this is why this is happening in my life. I think that's a real mistake to do that. I think we need to first say, Lord, is there something in this wickedness, in this mess, in this terrible situation that you are using to get my attention? to teach me. I think it's a mistake to assume that when bad things happen to good people, it's because of the bad things. There are no good people. There are no good people. I need to hear an amen on that one. That's that's good preaching. That's what the Scripture says. Nobody's innocent. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. When bad things happen, it's because we're in a bad world. It's a world that's fallen, and we're at the heart of the fallenness. So God's doing something. He's either allowing it or he's causing it for your benefit. So don't just assume that it's a bad person, bad thing, and be negative about it. And that's why I can't believe this is. How do you know it's not the Lord that's at work in you? Great example our country right now it is a complete mess <laughs> i have ne- i if you had asked me 20 years ago 10 years ago if i thought we would be right where we are now i would have said laughed and said no way maybe in 25 30 years but not that quick we're there it's a mess and so then all of our minds start spinning And we think, that's the stinking Democrats, it's the liberals, it's the president, it's the government. We go down the list of all the things. It's these interest groups, it's this sexual revolution, and we call it all out. The one thing we don't open our minds to is that God's allowing every bit of it to happen, possibly to try and get your attention and further mature you in your process of growth through sanctification. We shouldn't miss those opportunities. We shouldn't miss them. We should always allow God to show us how He is involved in everything. Because He is it's not like you're going to wake up in the morning and go to prayer and, Lord, I don't know if you saw it, but I was up this morning and I went on Fox News. Here's what just happened. And God go, oh, really? I, I, I should have read that. How silly of us to think that God is out of touch or that God doesn't really know what's happening or just foolishness for, for us to think that way. Verse 27, when David said to Mahanam, uh, or came to Mahanam, I was going to say, that's not a name of a man. When he came to Mahanam, Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabba, of the Ammonites. Shobi, what a name. Machir, the son of Emil from Lodabar. And here this guy must be from Italy, Barze- Barzelli or Barzilli. The, Gide- the Giladite from Rogalim, these three insignificant, obscure people brought beds, basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds and sheep and cheese from their herds for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary, and thirsty in the wilderness." Shobi, Machir, Barzile. Never heard of them. Never hear of them again in the Bible. But God took time to canonize their names in Scripture because God uses everybody. Those who we would deem as insignificant, God says, no, 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 no. I can promise you this. When they saw these three men coming with donkeys loaded down with supplies, they could have cared less about the mighty men that were walking with David. They were only wanting to thank God for these three insignificant souls. There is a time and a place where God allows all of us to serve on the wall. We need to do it. You think about in the book of Nehemiah, How they went back to replace or repair the walls of the city and raise them back up And they were getting attacked from the outside, the threats of attack And so Nehemiah told the people, you need to have a hoe or a tool in one hand to work on the wall And you have a weapon in the other He didn't just say, let's raise up the strongest men and have an army He said, I want everybody to have a tool and I want everybody to have a weapon some reason, because we think we're so sophisticated, so civilized, so educated, that there's only certain people who have to do that kind of stuff. I'm not in God's economy. God's looking for everybody to help. I once knew of an 84-year-old woman who was blind. And every day, she would call the numbers with her fingers. She had, could read the number and the name. And she would call people on the phone, and she would minister life through Christ to them. Encouraging, strengthening, supporting them. 84, blind. Knowing how God would use her with a certain tool. That is our Lord. That's His command to all of us. Shobi, Machir, Barzelli pretty awesome guys. I can promise you this, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Amen? Those guys are phenomenal. Verse 29, it says, and the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. In God's work, there's always hungry, thirsty, weary people. It'll never end. You can say, when will the church finally get to a place where everybody's been fed and everybody's doing well, and it'll never happen. Why? Because we're always seeing new people come with new needs. And even those of us who have had our needs met, it'll happen again. We'll need our needs met. That's life. And so some people, our pride says, you know, when we hear of a need, oh, oh, I want to help. And we just throw money to it, or we give our hands to it, or whatever. And then a few months later, we're the ones that are in a difficult place. And we call you up and we say, hey, what can we do for you? How can we help you? Oh, no, I'm fine. I'll be just fine. That's your pride speaking, not allowing others to return the favor. I wonder if we have any prideful people here tonight. Is it possible that that person is sitting in your chair? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or standing behind a podium, yes it is, very possible. Much to learn, folks, much to learn. <laughs> but here's a picture of God ministering to his servant, D- David, who he had to discipline in a tender and caring way. And so he actually is the one who caused the wounds in David, and now he's the one who's applying the bomb of Gilead to David. One of those guys was a Gileadite. I love that about God. He's like a shepherd, you know. A good shepherd will actually cause pain to come upon his sheep. If that sheep is rebellious and wandering, he might break its hind leg so it can't run off. But then he mends the leg. He's, we're in process with God. we're He's wanting to mature us. The whole time you live on this earth, every day, the Holy Spirit that's in you is trying to conform you to the image of Jesus. What's that called? Sanctification. And then here's the good news. It's never going to stop until the day you die. Every day, God's wanting to sanctify you just a little bit more. And then when you die, you take your last breath. Now, you go from sanctification to glorification. (laughs) Woohoo! We finally get there, folks. But we haven't crossed that Jordan River yet. We still need to trust God and let Him do a work in us and grow us and spiritually mature us. Amen? Don't ever stop letting God work in your life. Father, thank you tonight for this team of people that come out faithfully. It's just so good to see them each week. And I thank you, Lord, for the way. You have used your word to speak to our hearts. I think about our live stream audience tonight and pray for them as well, Lord, why they're not here. Only you know, and some are going through trial or maybe uh, sickness. We pray that you minister to them tonight. Those who are able to come, may they come next week if if it's possible. And we just give you praise and honor and glory that you never stop working with us and through us and that everybody here is significant in your eyes. Thank you God, Jesus name, amen. Amen, God bless you church.